0: Act One of The Twin Rivals by George Farquhar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae
1: Hermes Woodby, elder son and heir to Lord Woodby. Read by Todd.
2: Benjamin Woodby, his brother. Read by Thomas Peter.
3: Richmore, a gay, dissipated rake, read by Kurt from Tucson, Arizona. Captain Truman, his nephew and friend to Hermes Woodby, read by Jim Gallagher. Suttleman, an attorney, read by son
1: of the Exiles.
4: Fairbank, a goldsmith, read by Devora Allen.
1: Balderdash. A Vintner, read by Nemo.
2: Clear Account, Steward to Lord Woodby, read by Alan Mapstone.
5: Comic, a Poet, read by Abayi.
0: Jack, Valet to Benjamin Woodby, read by Grace Aline. Frisher, Valet to Benjamin Woodby, read by April, 6090. Teague, Valued to Hermes Woodby, read by Monica M. C.
5: Constance, betrothed to Hermes Woodby, read by Eva Davis. Aurelia, her cousin, beloved by Captain Truman, read by T. J. Burns. Mrs. account wife to account read by Liann Yao. Mistress
4: Mandrake, a midwife and procurer, read by Sonya
1: alderman read by larry wilson
0: constable read by phone
1: fourth gentleman read by stefan
0: fifth gentleman read by phone mob read by april six zero nine zero servant read by adriana Sacioto the maid read by abai
3: footman read by roger moline
0: Stage directions read by Sandra Schmidt. Scene London Prologue by Mr. Motteau. Spoken
5: by Mr. Wilkes. An alarm sounded. With drums and trumpets in this warring age, a martial prologue should alarm the stage. New plays, ere acted, a full audience near, seem towns invested when a siege they fear prologues are like a forlorn hope sent out before the play to skirmish and to scout our dreadful foes the critics when they spy they cock they charge they fire then back they fly the siege is laid there gallant chiefs abound here foes entrenched there glittering troops around and the loud batteries roar from yonder rising ground in the first act brisk sallies miss or hit with volleys of small shot or snip-snap wit attack and gall the trenches of the pit. The next, the fire continues, but at length grows less and slackens like a bridegroom's strength. The third, faints. mines, and countermines abound. Your critic engineers safe underground blow up our works and all our art confound. The fourth brings on most action and tis sharp. Fresh foes crowd on, at your remissness carp and desperate though unskilled insults our counterscarp then comes the last the general storm is near the poet-governor now quakes for fear runs wildly up and down forgets to huff and would give all he has plundered to get off so don and monsieur bluff before the siege were quickly tamed at Venlo and at lige twas vive spagna vive france before now courtier monsieur courtier ah signor but what your resolution can withstand you master all in awe the sea and land in war your valor makes the strong submit your judgment humbles all attempts in wit what play what fort what beauty can endure all fierce assaults and always be secure then grant em generous terms who dare to write since now that seems as desperate as to fight if we must yield yet ere the day be fixed let us hold out the third and if we may the sixth
0: the twin rivals act i scene One, benjamin woodby's lodgings benjamin woodby discovered dressing jack buckling his
2: shoes here is such a plague every morning with buckling shoes Gartering, combing, and powdering, cha, cease thy impertinence, I'll dress no more to-day.
0: Exit, Jack,
2: were I an honest brute that rises from his litter, shakes himself, and so is dressed, I could bear it.
0: Enter richmore
3: no farther yet would be tis
2: almost one, then blame the clockmakers, they made it so the sun has neither fore nor afternoon prithee what have we to do with time can't we let it alone as nature made it can't a man eat when he's hungry go to bed when he's sleepy rise when he wakes dress when he pleases without the confinement of hours to enslave him pardon me sir i understand your stoicism
3: you have lost your money last night
2: no no Fortune took care of me there. I had none to lose. Tis that gives you the spleen. Yes, I have got the spleen, and something else. Hark ye,
0: whispers. How?
2: Positively. The lady's kind reception was the most severe usage I ever met with. Shan't I break her windows, Richmore?
3: A mighty revenge, truly. Let me tell you, friend, that breaking the windows of such houses are no more than writing over a vintner's door, as they do in Holland, van Tis no more than a bush to a tavern, a decoy to trade, and to draw in customers, but upon the whole matter, I think, a gentleman should put up an affront got in such little company. For the pleasure, the pain, and the resentment are all alike scandalous.
2: Have you forgot, Richmore, how I found you one morning with the flying post in your hand, hunting for physical advertisements?
3: That was in the days of Dad, my friend, in the days of dirty linen, pit masks, hedge taverns, and beefsteaks. But now I fly at nobler game the ring, the court, paulettes, and the park. I despise. Buys all women that I apprehend any danger from, less than the having my throat cut, and should scruple to converse even with a lady of fortune, unless her virtue were loud enough to give me pride in exposing it. Here's a letter I received this morning. You may read it. Gives a letter. Benjamin Woodby reads
2: If there be solemnity in protestation, justice in heaven or fidelity on earth i may still depend on the faith of my richmore though i may conceal my love i no longer can hide the effects on from the world be careful of my honour remember your vows and fly to the relief of the disconsolate clelia the fair the courted blooming clelia
3: the credulous, troublesome, foolish Clelia did you ever read such a fulsome harangue, lard, Sir? I am near my time and want your assistance. Does the silly creature imagine that any man would come near her in those circumstances unless it were Dr. Chamberlain? You may keep the letter,
2: but why would you trust it with me? You know i can't keep a secret that has any scandal in it
3: for that reason i communicate i know thou art a perfect gazette and will spread the news all over the town for you must understand that i am now besieging another and i would have the fame of my conquest upon the wing that the town may surrender the sooner
2: but if the report of your cruelty goes along with that of your valor You'll find no garrison of any strength will open their gates to you.
3: No, no, women are cowards, and terror prevails upon them more than clemency. My best pretense to my success with the fair is my using em ill. Tis turning their own guns upon them, and I have always found it the most successful battery to assail one reputation by sacrificing
2: another. I could love thee for thy mischief, did I not envy thee for thy success
3: You never attempt a woman of figure.
2: How can I? This confounded hump of mine is such a burden at my back that it presses me down here in the dirt and diseases of Covent Garden, the low suburbs of pleasure. Cursed fortune, I am a younger brother." and yet cruelly deprived of my birthright of a handsome person seven thousand a year in a direct line would have straightened my back to some purpose but i look in my present circumstances like a branch of another kind grafted only upon the stock which makes me grow so crooked come come
3: tis no misfortune your father is so as well as you
2: then why should not i be a lord as well as he had i the same title to the deformity i could
3: bear it but how does my lord bear the absence of your
2: twin brother my twin brother I twas his crowding me that spoiled my shape and his coming half an hour before me that ruined my fortune my father expelled me his house some two years ago because i would have persuaded him that my twin brother was a bastard he gave me my portion which was about fifteen hundred pound and i have spent two thousand of it already as for my brother he owned care a farthing for me
3: why so pray
2: a very odd reason because i hate him how should he know that because he thinks it reasonable it should be so
3: but did your actions ever express any malice to him
2: yes i would fain have kept him company but being aware of my kindness he went abroad he has travelled these five years and i am told is a grave sober fellow and in danger of living a great while all my hope is that when he gets into his honour and estate the nobility will soon kill him by drinking him up to his dignity but come frank I have but two eyesores in the world a brother before me and a hump behind me and thou art still laying him in my way let us assume an argument of less severity canst thou lend me a brace of hundred pounds what would you do with them do with them <laughs> there's a question indeed do you think i would eat them
3: yes so my troth would you and drink them together Looky, Mr. Woodby, whilst you kept well with your father I could have ventured to have lent you five guineas. But as the case stands, I can assure you I have lately paid off my sister's fortune, and
2: Sir, this put-off looks like an affront when you know I don't use to take such things.
3: Sir, your demand is rather an affront, when you know I don't use to give such things.
2: Sir, upon my honour
3: that's mortgaged already for more than it is worth, you had better pawn your sword there twill bring you forty shillings.
2: the death, sir,
0: takes his sword off the table,
3: hold, Mr. Woodby, suppose I put an end to your misfortunes all at once. How, sir, Why go to a magistrate and swear you would have robbed me of two hundred pounds? Looky, sir, you have been often told that your extravagance would some time or other be the ruin of you, and it will go a great way in your indictment to have turned the pad upon your friend.
2: This usage is the height of ingratitude from you, and whose company I have spent my fortune.
3: I am therefore a witness that it was very ill-spent. Why would you keep company, be at equal expenses with me, that have fifty times your estate? What was gallantry in me was prodigality in you. Mine was my health, because I could pay for it. Yours a disease, because you could not.
2: And is this all I must expect from our friendship?
3: Friendship? Sir, there can be no such thing without an equality.
2: That is. There can be no such thing when there is occasion for it. Right, sir. Our
3: friendship was over a bottle only, and whilst you can pay your club of friendship, I'm that way your humble servant. But when once you come borrowing, I'm this way your humble servant.
0: Exit.
2: Rich, big, proud, arrogant villain. I have been twice his second. Thrice sick of the same love, and thrice cured by the same physic, and now he drops me for a trifle. That an honest fellow in his cups should be such a rogue when he's sober. The narrow-hearted rascal has been drinking coffee this morning. Well, thou dear solitary half-crown, adieu. Here, Jack.
0: Re-enter Jack.
2: Take this pay for a bottle of wine, and bid Balderdash bring it himself. Exit Jack. How melancholy are my poor breeches! Not one chink! Thou art a villainous hand, for thou hast picked my pocket. This vintner now has all the marks of an honest fellow. A broad face, a copious look, a strutting belly, and a jolly mien. I have brought him above three pound a night for these two years successively. The rogue has money, I'm sure, if he will but lend it.
0: Enter Balderdash, with a bottle and glass. Jack attending.
2: Oh, Mr. Balderdash, good
1: morrow. Noble Mr. Woodby, I'm your most humble servant. I have brought you a wetting glass, the best old hock in Europe i know tis your drink in a morning
2: i'll pledge you mr balderdash drinks your health sir pray mr balderdash tell me one thing but first sit down now tell me plainly what
1: you think of me think of you sir i think that you are the honestest noblest gentleman that ever drank a glass of wine and the best customer that ever came into my house and you really think as you speak may this wine be my poison sir if i don't speak from the bottom of my heart
2: and how much money do you think i have spent in your house
1: why truly sir by a moderate computation i do believe that i have handled of your money the best part of five hundred pounds
2: Within these two years? Very well. And do you think that you will lie under any obligation for the trade I have promoted to your advantage?
1: Yes, sir. And if I can serve you in any respect, pray command
2: me to the utmost of my ability. Well, thanks to my stars, there is still some honesty in wine. Mr. Balderdash, I embrace you and your kindness. I am at present a little low in cash, and must beg you to lend me a hundred pieces.
1: Why, truly, Mr. Woodby, I was afraid it would come to this. I have had it in my head several times to caution you upon your expenses, but you were so very genteel in my house, and your liberality became you so very well that i was unwilling to say anything that might check your disposition but truly sir i can forbear no longer to tell you that you have been a little too extravagant
2: but since you reaped the benefit of my extravagance you will i hope consider my necessity consider your necessity
1: i do with all my heart and must tell you moreover that i will be no longer accessory to it i desire you sir to frequent my house no more how sir i say sir that i have an honour for my good lord your father and will not suffer his son to run into any inconvenience sir i shall order my drawers not to serve you with a drop of wine would you have me connive at a gentleman's
2: destruction but you think sir that a person of your nice conscience should have cautioned me before alas sir it was none of my
1: business would you have me be saucy to a gentleman that was my best customer lackaday sir had you money to hold it out still i had been hanged rather than be rude to you but truly sir when a man is ruined tis but the duty of a christian to tell him of it will you lend me the money sir will you pay me this bill sir lend me the hundred pound and i will pay the bill pay me the bill and i will not lend the hundred pound sir but pray consider with yourself now sir would not you think me an errant coxcomb to trust a person with money that has always been so extravagant under my eye whose profuseness i have seen i have felt i have handled have not i known you sir throw away ten pound of a night upon a covey of pit partridges and a setting-dog sir you have made my house an ill-house my very chairs will bear you no longer in short sir i desire you to frequent the
2: crown no more sir Thou sophisticated ton of iniquity! Have I fattened your carcass and swelled your bags with my vital blood? Have I made you my companion to be thus saucy to me? But now I will keep you at your due distance.
0: Kicks him. Welcome, sir.
2: Well said, Jack.
0: Kicks him again. Very welcome, sir. I hope we shall have your company another time. Welcome, sir. Balderdash is kicked off.
2: Pray wait on him downstairs give him a welcome at the door too
0: exit jack
2: this is the punishment of hell the very devil that tempted me to the sin now upbraids me with the crime i have villainously murdered my fortune and now its ghost in the lank shape of poverty haunts me is there no charm to conjure down the fiend
0: re-enter jack oh sir here's sad news
2: then keep it to thyself I have enough of that already.
3: Sir, you will hear it too soon.
2: What? Is broad below?
3: No, no, sir. Better twenty such as we were hanged. Sir, your father's dead.
2: My father? Good night, my lord. Has he left me anything?
3: I heard nothing of that, sir.
2: Then I believe you heard all there was of it. Let me see. My father dead, and my elder brother abroad if necessity be the mother of invention she was never more pregnant than with me here Sarah, run to mrs mandrake and bid her come hither presently exit that woman was my mother's midwife when i was born and has been my bard these ten years i have had her endeavours to corrupt my brother's mistress now her assistance will be necessary to cheat him of his estate for she is famous for understanding the right side of a woman <laughs> and the wrong side of the law
0: exit scene two a room in mrs mandrake's house mrs mandrake discovered who is
4: there enter maid madam has any message been left for me to-day yes madam Here has been one from my lady Stillborn that desired you not to be out of the way for she expected to cry out every minute. How? Every minute Let me see. Takes out a pocket book. Stillborn Ay. She reckons with her husband from the first of April, and with Sir James from the first of March. Aye, she's always a month before her time knocking at the door go see who's at the door yes madam exit well certainly there is not a woman in the world so willing to oblige mankind as myself and really i have been so ever since the age of twelve as i can remember i have delivered as many women of great bellies (laughs) and helped as many too as any person in england but my watching and cares have broken me quite i am not the same woman i was forty years ago enter richmore oh mr richmore you're a sad man a barbarous man so you are what will become of poor clelia mr richmore the poor creature is so big with her misfortunes that they are not to be born.
5: <laughs>
3: you, Mrs. Mandrake, are the fittest person in the world to ease her of them.
4: And won't you marry her, Mr. Richmore?
3: My conscience won't allow it, for I have sworn since to marry another.
4: And will you break your vows to Clelia?
3: why not when she has broke hers to me
4: how's that sir
3: why she swore a hundred times never to grant me the favour and yet you know she broke her word
4: but she loved mr richmore and that was the reason she forgot her oath
3: and i love mr richmore and that is the reason i forgot mine Why should she be angry that I follow her own example? By doing the very same thing from the very same motive.
4: Well, well, take my word, you'll never thrive. I wonder how you can have the face to come near me that I am the witness of your horrid oath and imprecations. Are you not afraid that the guilty chamber above stairs should fall down upon your head? yes yes i was accessory i was so but if ever you involve my honour in such a villainy the second time ah oh, poor clelia i loved her as i did my own daughter you seducing man
3: <laughs> ho, my aurelia
4: ho she's very pretty
3: dost thou know her my dear mandrake
4: Hi ho she's very pretty Oh, you're a sad man poor clelia was handsome but indeed breeding puking and longing has broken her much tis a hard case mr richmore for a young lady to see a thousand things and long for a thousand things and yet not dare to own that she longs for one. She had liked to have miscarried the other day for the pith of a loin of veal. Oh, you barbarous man!
3: But, my Aurelia, confirm me that you know her, and I'll adore thee.
4: You would fling five hundred guineas at my head that you knew as much of her as I do. Why, sir, i brought her into the world i have had her sprawling in my lap ah she was as plump as a puffin sir
3: i think she has no great portion to value herself upon her reputation only will keep up the market we must first make that cheap by crying it down and then she'll part with it at an easy rate
4: but won't you provide for poor clelia
3: provide why han't i taught her a trade let her set up when she will i'll engage her customers enough because i can answer for the goodness of the ware
4: nay but you ought to set her up with credit and take a shop that is get her a husband have you no pretty gentleman your relation now that wants a young virtuous lady with a handsome fortune no young templar that has spent his estate in the study of the law and starves by the practice no spruce officer that wants a handsome wife to make court for him among the major-generals have you none of these sir
3: Fofo, madam "'Have you tired me upon that subject? "'Do you think a lady that gave me so much trouble before possession "'shall ever give me any after it? "'No, no, had she been more obliging to me when I was in her power, "'I should be more civil to her now that she's in mine. "'My assiduity beforehand was an overprice. "'Had she made a merit of the matter, she should have yielded sooner.
4: "'Nay, nay, sir.' though you have no regard to her honour yet you shall protect mine how do you think i have secured my reputation so long among the people of best figure but by keeping all mouths stopped sir i'll have no clamours at me heavens help me i have clamours enough at my door early and late in my other capacity in short sir a husband for clelia or i banish you my presence forever richmore aside
3: thou art a necessary devil and i can't want thee
4: looky sir tis your own advantage tis only making over your estate into the hands of a trustee and though you don't absolutely command the premises Yet you may exact enough out of em for necessaries when you
3: will. Patience a little, madam. I have a young nephew that is a captain of horse. He mortgaged the last morsel of his estate to me to make up his equipage for the last campaign. Perhaps you know him. He's a brisk fellow, much about court, Captain Truman.
4: Oh, truman that's my life he's one of my babies i can tell you the very minute he was born precisely at three o'clock next st george's day truman will be two-and-twenty a stripling the prettiest good-natured child and your nephew he must be the man and shall be the man i have a kindness for him
3: but we must have a care the fellow wants neither sense nor courage
4: (sighs) never fear her part she shan't want instructions and then for her lying in a little abruptly tis my business to reconcile matters there A fright or a fall excuses that. Lord, sir, I do these things every day.
3: Tis pity, then, to put you out of your road, and Clelia shall have a husband.
4: Spoke like a man of honour, and now I'll serve you again. This Aurelia, you say?
3: Oh, she distracts me. Her beauty, family, and virtue make her a noble pleasure.
4: And you have a mind for that reason to get her a husband?
3: Yes, Faith. I have another young relation at Cambridge, is just going into orders. And I think such a fine woman with fifteen hundred pound is a better presentation than any living in my gift. And why should he like the cure the worse that an incumbent was there before? (laughs)
4: thou art a pretty fellow at the same moment you would persuade me that you love a woman to madness are you contriving how to part with her
3: if i loved her not to madness i should not run into these contradictions here my dear mother aurelia's the word offers her money
0: pardon me sir refusing the money
4: did you ever know me mercenary no no sir virtue is its own reward
3: nay but madam i owe you for the teeth-powder you sent me
4: oh that's another matter sir takes the
0: money i hope you like it sir
3: extremely madam aside but it was somewhat dear of twenty guineas
0: enter footman
3: madam here is mr woodby's footman below with a message from his master
4: i come to him presently exit footman do you know that woodby loves aurelia's cousin and companion mistress constance with the great fortune and that i solicit for him
3: why she's engaged to his elder brother besides young would has no money to prosecute an affair of such consequence you can have no hopes of success there i'm sure ah
4: oh, truly i have no great hopes but an industrious body you know would do anything rather than be idle the aunt is very near her time and I have access to the family when I please.
3: now I think on it, Prithee get the letter from Woodby that I gave him just now. It would be proper to our designs upon Truman that it should not be exposed
4: and you showed Clelia's letter to Woodby yes, oh, you barbarous man. Who the devil would oblige you? What pleasure can you take in exposing the poor creature, dear little child? Tis pity, indeed, it is.
3: Madam, the messenger waits below, so I'll take my leave.
4: Exit. Ah, oh, you're a sad man.
0: Exit. End of Act One.